Welcome to Hoosier Ag This Week. I'm farm broadcaster Eric Pfeiffer from Hoosier Ag Today, ready to run down the top news and information from this past week from Indiana's most important industry, agriculture. Joining me today will be Andy Eubank with a grain market update, Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin with his updated Indiana farm forecast, and C.J. Miller and Sabrina Halverson help me bring you the news, including a new case of avian influenza found in a commercial turkey farm in southern Indiana. Also, could you fetch top dollar right now if you wanted to sell some farmland? We begin out in Salt Lake City, Utah, where the American Farm Bureau Federation held their annual convention this past week. We told you last weekend about Indiana Discussion Meet winner Kylie Wheeler competing in Utah. She had a fantastic week, and CJ will have an interview with her a bit later on in the show. Right now, I'll welcome in Sabrina Halverson, who was in Salt Lake City and caught up with Indiana Farm Bureau President Randy Crone to discuss policies that delegates adopted to guide the organization's work in 2024. Key topics ranged from artificial intelligence to crop insurance to labor. But recognizing the challenges of maintaining a strong agriculture workforce, delegates voted to stabilize wage rates for guest workers and to revise the H-2A and H-2B programs. Indiana Farm Bureau President Randy Crone says there are several issues within the adverse wage rate requirements that need updating. We have a number of members uh, scattered all over the state growing anywhere from tomatoes to watermelon, sweet corn, uh, cantaloupes, and uh, you know most of those are, are harvested and plant it by H-2A workers. And the last two years, our members have been, they call almost weekly because last two years, their wage rate's gone up 20%. So huge increase. In an interview before the delegates meeting, Crone pointed out more adjustments that he thinks are needed within the H-2A program. It needs to be updated, but part of the impact is the classification of the jobs. And if they do one job for just a few minutes, they change to that the whole time and not just for a few minutes uh, or maybe a day. And so there's a lot of things like that. There needs to be more availability, make it easier. A lot of the workers that come to the farms that I'm familiar with are the same ones year after year. They have to go through the same process. It would be nice if they've been here a few years to be able to streamline the process to get them here. During the meeting, delegates decided AFBF may accept caps on the number of visas for a year-round agricultural worker program should such an immigration deal come up in Congress. This is a reversal of its years-long stance of opposing caps on labor visas to ensure the number of workers needed for crops around the nation. This year, delegates argued that agreeing to a cap gives the AFBF a voice in the debate and would lead to a more favorable outcome than remaining against or even neutral to the idea. Some delegates remained firmly against the idea of accepting caps. However, the majority voted to change the official policy. I'm Sabrina Halverson. All right, Sabrina, thanks. We have more now from Indiana Farm Bureau President Randy Crone. While out there, he talked about some local issues of concern to Indiana Farm Bureau members. Atop that list is the issue of water quantity. Not something that's ever really been a major concern in Indiana in the past, but now that the state-led LEAP project in Boone County is trying to take somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 million gallons of water per day from Tippecanoe County, the conversation has heightened. Crone says they're trying to figure out what rules agriculture needs to play by in this water quantity discussion. We have protections for residential wells, but past that, you know, our legal counsel says it's basically biggest straw wins. Now we put together a task force. We're trying to figure out what rules 
you know, I, I hesitate to say the word regulation because in Farm Bureau we try to fight regulation, but we got to have some rules around this because I don't want to wait till we have a crisis. It might be five or 10 or 20 years, but we need to figure out where agriculture is on the priority list. And we got to get it right because it will have precedent around the state, future development areas, because there are a number of areas that do not have underground water aquifers. So we're, we're working on it. We're kind of at the beginning stages trying to figure this one out, but it's going to be important to our members. Visit HoosierAgToday.com. You can hear the full conversation with Crone out in Salt Lake City on all the other issues discussed out there with the Farm Bureau Convention. Well, Purdue Extension's Dan Corn Quinn and Soybean Sean Castile are back with another episode of the Purdue Crop Chat Podcast. You can find that now at HoosierAgToday.com. We discuss record yields for Indiana corn and soybeans in 23 and what to plan for in 24. Planting dates are playing a big role in yield results. If May ends up wet, like Hat Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin is calling for now, I asked Quinn if he'd rather have April 15th planted corn or June 5th if May is a washout. He says June 5th all day. We saw it last year. I had some corn trials that were planted June 1st, and they were, you know, really good yields. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just they got planted into really good conditions, and the ground was warm, and it shot out of the ground, right? We always talk about that. You know, I could plant April 15th, and I could plant May 10th, and based on if it turned off cold after April 15th, that crop is probably not coming out that much later on May 10th than what it would be in April 15th. And and with corn, right, you know, beans getting them in early, you know, if you lose, say, 5-10% of your stand with beans, that's a different story than losing 5-10% of your stand with corn as well. Um, it's just not going to compensate to that that level. Castile says the more timely planted soybeans have been yielding better over the past several years, where we've seen statewide record averages. April 15th is a pretty good time for those. I'm not pulling the trigger per se April 15th just because it's that day. If we're getting sidewalk compaction, if we're smearing all that. But uh, I certainly think it goes back to in 23, we had great stand establishment, able to weather the dry side of it. It's going to be the same thing in terms of, okay, if it does turn off wet, you want a plant that's already there, established root systems to kind of go through that, especially if it's going to be wet. I think that helps out in a number of ways. You think about any of the seedling diseases that could come into this. I definitely have been one, when you're looking at timely planting of beans, to have a fungicide seed treatment out there, thinking about they're going to be sitting in the soils that are colder. Uh, some of the diseases really like that cold and wet. You think about epithium, you think about some of these other ones. Uh, you want to be protecting it. The guys join me on the Purdue Crop Chat podcast. You can find it now wherever you listen to podcasts. We discuss much more about these record yields, and we even touch on fashion. Yes, you heard right. Fashion. Tune in to find out more. Meteorologist Ryan Martin has his Indiana farm forecast on the way, but right now, let's get an update on the ag markets. For that, I welcome in Andy Eubank. And Andy, it was a pretty disappointing way for the grain markets to roll into the weekend on Friday. Yes, Eric, another sell-off over dime losses in soybeans and wheat. Corn getting dragged down, too. We'll have those settlements coming up. Let's check in, though, first with Brian Basting of Advanced Trading for Market Analysis. I checked in with him Friday near the end of trade. Brian, we're going out of the week with uh, a whimper to the downside as we're looking at double-digit losses in soybeans and wheat futures as well. All of that pulling the corn market down. Why the weakness? Well, we had some bearish news yesterday, Andy, from the Buenos Aires Grain Exchange. They increased the size of their projections for corn and soybeans. Corn increased 1.5 million tons. Last year was 34 million tons. 
Their estimate for this year is now 56 and a half. And the soybeans uh, last year were 25 million tons, and it's now 52, so more than double on the soybeans. So just a lot of uh, production potential, underline the word potential. We haven't made those crops down there, and they do need some rain moving into February. But that caught the market's attention uh, moving into the end of the week here. Also a very negative export sales report on Thursday for soybeans, which has damaged the market for the time being. Are there any longer-term implications of what those numbers have to say? Yeah, that's a good question. We're seeing the, the harvest progress in the northern state of Mato Grosso in Brazil progress faster than normal. Now, they are getting some rain this week, which may slow things down, but the bottom line is, is that the faster that that harvest proceeds, the quicker those beans will work their way in the world market. The bottom line is, is that the window for U.S. exports of beans in the world market is starting to close. Brian Basting, Market Analysis. Brian is with Advanced Trading, and his number is 309-664-2314. On the Hat Friday Farm Market Review, a nickel and a half lower on the March and May corn contracts. March drops to 446 and a quarter, May 455 and three quarters. 13 and three quarters down on March beans, 1209 and a quarter. May contract 1216 and a quarter losing 14 cents and a 12 cent drop on Friday for March wheat six dollars and a quarter cent at settlement time. The meat markets did go higher up 72 for February live cattle at 178.45 and February lean hogs 74.92 up 62. I'm Andy Eubank and you're up to date now on the markets. Much more still to come here on Hoosier Ag this week. Farm Credit America believes that your crop insurance should be maximized to address what's important to you. With their data-optimized decision tool, you can build a policy custom fit to your operation's goals. Using your past production data, their tool, which they have exclusive access to in their territory, maps out future events, helping you choose the perfect policy type, coverage level, and options for you, all guided by their crop insurance agents. To learn more, visit fcma.com crop insurance. Farm Credit Mid-America is an equal opportunity provider. The High Ground Podcast. Everything from energy and fuel. It's a Memorial Day weekend. Going to be 87 to 89, maybe low 90s all weekend. So we thought we'd bring Scott Heine in. So we'll talk about home heat. <laughs> <laughs> to agriculture. Anytime we can help a farmer grow their business and meet their goals, that's a proud moment for me. And, well, other things. For some reason, like and subscribe. We don't know why, but that's important. We want you to do it on your own, but we're going to tell you. <laughs> Listen now on all platforms. We're not done with moisture just quite yet. I'm Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin with Who's Rag Today's Weekend Weather Outlook. We had been hoping that most of this moisture that we're talking about here in this update would stay farther south. Alas, that is not going to be the case. So we are going to be seeing a dry start to the weekend here with a mix of clouds and sunshine over a large part of Indiana right off here this morning. But there is another round of moisture to the south. And instead of staying down in the Ohio River Valley and into the deep south, it seems to want to lift northeast pretty quickly. So I'm saying by midday, we're going to see clouds and scattered rain showers in southern Indiana. By late afternoon, we're going to be seeing that in central Indiana. And then overnight tonight, we're going to be seeing a moisture lift into northern Indiana. All rain at this point to start. Where I'm a little concerned is basically from midnight to 6 a.m. because we're going to continue to see moisture coming through here. And this system is drawing down some cooler air, but again, it's also coming during the overnight hours. So 
I think we have to continue to allow for some wet snow to be seen here. This is not wet accumulating snow. I have no concern about that, but I think we can see wet snowflakes mixing in with rain from midnight to about 6 a.m. or so on a Sunday morning. Now, the clouds hold through Sunday midday, but start to break up, and we'll be seeing clearing moving through a Sunday night. Monday starts partly to mostly sunny, but a little chilly still here as the cold air that that system draws down over the weekend parks for just a bit. As warm air clashes with that, trying to race right in, I think that triggers cloud cover then for Tuesday. In the clouds, I guess I won't rule out a few spits or sprinkles, but it doesn't look like it's a big threat. Just a cloudier day Tuesday. And then from Wednesday forward, game on. Moderate air, mild air is in play. We're going to be seeing well above normal temperatures. And I think that includes maybe a run at 50 degrees on several occasions in that Thursday, Friday, Saturday time frame. Dry weather also in control. So with the warmth, I think we see good evaporation. Look, we have had a lot of moisture here recently, whether it's the rains that we finished out this past week with or the snow melt that was coming along with that. So we've got water standing in a lot of places. We'll start to see evaporation kick in. And with the warm temperatures, any frost layer that was in the ground, I think comes out relatively quickly, allowing moisture to move up and down through the soil profile. That's good. That means we can actually tap into it and use it. Next round of moisture, a big weather system trying to come out of the Four Corners region, but it's fracturing quite a bit as it kicks out next Saturday and Sunday. I think by the time all is said and done, when we get into next Monday, the 5th, the only thing left is going to be a few hit and miss scattered showers that try and track across Indiana. Coverage about 60%. That is all. So overall, we're not looking at too bad of a forecast. We do have an opportunity to dry down here a bit, and we are warmer than normal. I'm Ryan Martin. It's like fertilizer for your brain. Every weekday morning, the Hoosier Ag Today email newsletter arrives in your inbox with the latest farm news, markets, and weather information, the kind of stuff you're going to need that day. So make sure you're feeding your brain with this free, easy to read, and important input. Sign up for the Hoosier Ag Today email newsletter at HoosierAgToday.com and the Hoosier Ag Today mobile app. Welcome back to Hoosier Ag This Week. I'm C.J. Miller with Hoosier Ag Today, and your state lawmakers here in Indiana have been very busy filing new legislation for 2024. In fact, there are now over 1,700 bills that have been filed between both the Indiana House and the Indiana Senate. And some of those bills could have a major impact on Indiana's farmers and Indiana's ag businesses. We'll watch probably 30 to 40 of those bills to see if there's any effects uh, specifically to our industry. And that's Bruce Kettler, the president and CEO of the Agribusiness Council of Indiana. One of those bills would get rid of more restrictive state regulations for pesticide use and replace those rules with less restrictive federal regulations. They wanted to make sure that general use pesticides, as an example, people maybe wouldn't have to be licensed or wouldn't have to go through training to be able to use those. But our concern is that we don't want to see people getting into business that can abuse and not properly use any pesticide. Doesn't matter if it's general use or restricted use. You can cause problems for your neighbors, for other farmers, whether it's general use or, or restricted use. Another bill that could impact Indiana ag businesses would regulate autonomous commercial motor vehicles. 
including tractor trailers and farm equipment. Again, we'll watch that because uh, as autonomy becomes a bigger deal in the agriculture industry, think tractor trailers potentially being able to do that. So we'll want to watch that to make sure it doesn't negatively affect the industry. We don't want bills set up so that as we get more autonomy in agriculture, it doesn't uh, restrict us or not allow not only our businesses, but their customers, the farmers, to be able to do and utilize the technology like autonomy as well. In addition to keeping an eye on state legislation, Kettler says he's also watching out for federal legislation. For example, there's some things happening through US EPA on endangered species, starting on the herbicide side, uh, it will go into fungicides, insecticides, and other products. So we're watching that one very close. In fact, there are some folks that would like to require treated seed to have to do uh, basically what you have to do with a pesticide currently. The There's a lot of challenges around that. So we're looking at that. You can hear my full interview with Bruce Kettler and read the full list from the Agribusiness Council of Indiana of the state legislation that's currently pending that could impact Indiana's farmers and ag businesses. All that at HoosierAgToday.com and at the new Hoosier Ag Today mobile app, a free download for iPhone and Android. The Beef Checkoff Program has been around since 1985. It's led to many significant developments for the U.S. beef industry over the past 39 years. Norman Voiles Jr. is a cattle producer from the Martinsville area. He's also the immediate past chair of the Cattlemen's Beef Board, which is the national beef checkoff. During the recent American Farm Bureau convention in Salt Lake City, Voiles discussed the importance of the beef checkoff's promotional efforts with Hoosier Ag Today's Sabrina Halverson. In this day and age, how important is promotion of beef? Oh, it's tremendously important. When we look at a cow herd that's about one-third less than it was in 1985 when it was formed, when we're looking at a dollar, which is the same amount that we were collecting then, uh, is worth 35% of it is at that time, you know, promotion of our product is extremely important. Um, without the promotion that's been done by a number of our contractors, uh, we don't think beef demand would be where it is today. Um, you know, we are looking at some uh, record, in the last year we've been looking at some record demands uh, for beef, and in large part that's due to 35, 36 years of the beef checkoff and what they've done to promote beef. How important is it that they understand what the checkoff does? Oh, I think it's extremely important because uh, knowledge is power, and a knowledge of the beef checkoff, then they can become involved and maybe suggest programs that some of our contractors could do. Also, um, just being able to talk to other producers around the country that may say, you know, what's the checkoff actually doing for us? And they can give them specific programs that some of our contractors are doing in terms of whether it be uh, human nutrition research using beef or whether it be beef safety or beef quality assurance things like that that the beef checkoff is directly involved in and can inform producers around the country. Once again, Indiana beef producer Norman Voiles Jr. You can hear more of his conversation with Sabrina Halverson at HoosierAgToday.com. Well, it's meeting and farm show season as Indiana's farmers make plans and decisions for planting season. Seed companies are doing their best to set themselves apart from the rest to earn your business. At the Fort Wayne Farm Show earlier this month, Seed Genetics Direct Vice President Todd Jeffries told her Eric Pfeiffer 
that customer feedback prompted some changes in their seed business. We were getting more and more customers asking to have their soybeans treated without an insecticide. So I started digging deep into the issue. It was one of those things, the only positives I can find were from companies that make and sell insecticides. So Jeffrey started to dig even deeper. He found a 12-year multi-university study that addressed the issue. It included Purdue, Ohio State, uh, Michigan State, Iowa State, all the ag universities in the Corn Belt. And their studies said there was little to no benefit of insecticide on soybeans. It also said we're killing off ground beetles, which is the number one predator for slugs. We're getting more and more replants due to slug damage every year. And a big reason why is because we're killing off their predator. And that prompted them to remove the insecticide from their seed treatment. Since they took that out, Jeffrey said they added a couple of things in. We added a product called Germate Plus. That is a growth promoter. It's a biological. And then, um, you know, one thing we've gotten away from in the seed industry over the years is uh, inoculation on soybeans. It's kind of a pain to put on at the planter level, and everybody forgets they need it until they're getting ready to go out to plant. So we did find an inoculation called Enforce that once it's treated on the bean, it lasts for 240 days. Their seed treatment now includes three fungicides, that growth promoter, and that inoculant. Seed Genetics Direct will continue their farm show season at the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville, February 14th through the 17th, and then on to Houston for Commodity Classic in late February, early March. I'm Eric Pfeiffer. Thank you, Eric. A commercial turkey farm in Davies County, Indiana this past week has tested positive for avian influenza. That's according to the Indiana State Board of Animal Health. State officials say the farm has over 13,000 birds and is currently under quarantine. The state did not name the specific farm affected. It's the first time since 2022 that a commercial poultry flock in Indiana has had a positive test. Coming up, why prices for Indiana's farmland remain strong. And you'll hear from Kylie Wheeler, who not only won the Indiana Farm Bureau discussion meet, but she also did very well at the national discussion meet this past week at the American Farm Bureau Convention. That's all coming up here in just a few, so don't you dare go anywhere. I'm C.J. Miller with Hoosier Ag Today, and this is Hoosier Ag This Week. For many of you here in Indiana, agriculture is your life's work and legacy. I'm Bruce Kettler, President and CEO of the Agribusiness Council of Indiana. Throughout my career, I've been immersed in Indiana agriculture and appreciate the role that ACI plays on behalf of Indiana agribusinesses. ACI is the proactive voice for agribusiness, and we invite you to join us in our mission. Visit our website, inagribiz.org, to get your membership started today. The Agribusiness Council of Indiana, strengthening and connecting Indiana agribusiness. Thank you so much again for joining us right here this weekend on Hoosier Ag This Week. I'm C.J. Miller with Hoosier Ag Today and the run-up in farmland prices in 2022 led many to wonder, is now the time to sell? Eric Pfeiffer joins us once again and reports that some are still wondering that today. We're still seeing a few record highs in certain counties. I think it's backed off just a tick possibly in some areas, but uh, we're still seeing very strong uh, prices due to high demand and low supply in the farmland sector. That's Rick John Lowe's, an area representative with Halderman Real Estate Services, talking about current farmland price conditions here in Indiana. If you still have a good uh, all tillable farm that's square 
and very desirable to farm. I'm going to say it still brings top dollar and uh, is probably going to be close to an all-time record high for the area. If you've got something that's a little more of a challenging farm, say it's got an open ditch through it or some wood, more woods on it or things like that, then you'll see, I, I think things like that have backed off a little bit, maybe by... 15, maybe even 20% off of the highs right now. There's been a lot of talk lately about foreign investment in American farmland, even prompting a bill to be introduced at the Indiana State House, preventing the sale of land to our adversaries like China. John Lowe says they're just not seeing that as an issue right now at their land auctions. Most of the time, it's a local landowner, maybe even the adjoining landowner, that wants to buy up the land because it's simply a good investment. It's been a good investment for years and years, and uh, the people that buy farm ground, they know that and understand that, and uh, you still see them in the market, uh, you know, because that's, that's where they want to park their money. You can find auction and property listings at Halderman.com, or you can find this story in our free Hoosier Ag Today mobile app and click on the link from there. I'm Eric Pfeiffer. Well, recently we told you all about Kylie Wheeler, the winner of Indiana Farm Bureau's discussion meet. Not only did Kylie compete among the other top state winners last weekend at the national discussion meet during the American Farm Bureau convention in Salt Lake City, but she made it all the way to the final four and finished fourth. Kylie joins us now here on Who's Your Ag Today. And Kylie, what went through your mind as last weekend you make it not only to the Sweet 16, but to the Final Four? So the first two rounds we competed in, I, I felt really good about how I represented not only myself, but the state of Indiana. So, you know, making it to the Sweet 16, I was really hopeful. But at the same time, I know everyone at that level is really good. They actually called my name for the Sweet 16 round 16th. So I was sweating a little bit, sitting there in my chair waiting for my name to be called, and I was just so grateful for the opportunity to get to continue on in the contest. So when they called my name for the Final Four, you know, I'm not an emotional person, but I I did tear up a little bit there. I was so excited to get the opportunity to compete on that final round. Kylie, was it any different for you to prepare for the national discussion meet versus the state discussion meet? When we compete at that state level, it's very easy for us to talk about our state issues, but... Once you get to that national level, you've got to expand your knowledge. So your Indiana knowledge, it's not that it's not important, but it can't be the only thing on your mind at that point. So, you know, one thing I did in preparation for the national contest was really expanding my knowledge and expanding my resources. So I reached out to producers in Minnesota, North Dakota, California, Georgia. I was really trying to expand my knowledge and gain a better understanding of issues that are happening around the country at that point. What were some of the topics that were discussed during the American Farm Bureau discussion meet this past weekend that you were a part of? Yeah, so we were able to discuss water issues. That was our final four questions. So that was, you know, very interesting to hear, you know, what the Western states are really facing. And um, one of the questions I maybe enjoyed the most was the sustainability question, which was an earlier round question, because that's, that's really the scope of the work I'm doing now for the State Department of Agriculture. Kylie, it's ironic that one of the topics is water when Water here over the course of the past several months has been a rather large topic because of the uh, LEAP district that they're uh, trying to establish there in Boone County and trying to uh, get water from uh, the Tippecanoe County area down to Boone County, just north of Indianapolis. So I'm sure part of what's been happening here in Indiana had to factor into your discussion at the national level. 
It did. And actually, I referenced our LEAP project and the fact that we're seeing water quantity issues for the first time right in my opening statement. Typically in Indiana, this hasn't been an issue, but it is now. And how can we model, you know, maybe some of our policies and some of our stances off of the states like Utah and Idaho who have been seeing these issues for years. Once again, Kylie Wheeler, originally from Carroll County, now in Henry County and finishing fourth at the national discussion meet during last weekend's American Farm Bureau Convention in Salt Lake City. Kylie, congratulations and thank you so much for joining us here today on Hoosier Ag Today. Thank you, CJ. I appreciate the opportunity to get to share a bit about my story and share about Farm Bureau. And that wraps up this week's edition of Hoosier Ag This Week. Download the podcast version of today's show at HoosierAgToday.com. Also download the new Hoosier Ag Today mobile app, a free download for iPhone and Android. For Andy Eubank, Eric Pfeiffer, Sabrina Halverson, and Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin, I'm C.J. Miller, Hoosier Ag Today, Indiana's Farm Network.